Hello, 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 my lovely Scenes Like Diaculture crew. I don't know where crew came from, but it felt right in the moment, so hopefully it feels right to you. And if you are new to this podcast, welcome. Welcome to the crew, as I just said. If you don't know what this is about, it's really a place to go through wellness trends, topics, influencers, rules every single week and get the no BS answers to if it's legit or not what this trend is actually all about, and how you want to incorporate this into your life. My name is Mallory Page, and I'm your host, and I am also a registered dietitian, and I like to share my educated opinion on these things so that you can really understand both sides of a story and figure out what you think about current wellness culture. Now, Every single week, we have a different topic. Some of them are a lot more scientific, and we dive into the nitty-gritty. And then others are a lot more casual. And this topic today falls more in the latter half of that, a more casual conversation based off experiences, opinions from me, opinions from you guys, and even just a general conversation that isn't often opened up in society. So with that, let's dive into this conversation and talk about drunkorexia. Now, I do want to make a quick disclaimer here. This episode is going to be really open, honest, and raw. We are going to be specifically discussing some more disordered habits that people engage in, And if you don't feel like this is a time for you to listen to habits that could potentially be triggering around binging, exercising, bulimia, things along these lines, this may not be the time for you to listen. I am always very cognizant of never trying to just throw out random, potentially harmful habits that people could utilize, but at the same time, With these type of conversations, it's so common that we shy away from the truth and we shy away from what's really going on. And I don't want to do that in this call because, in this call, in this topic, it feels like I'm on a call with you guys whenever I'm doing a podcast, to be honest. It's like talking with a friend. So if you feel like right now that would be hard for you to hear, I would really, really love if you did not listen I know that it's hard when you hear a trigger warning because sometimes it can make you want to listen even more, but this is me urging you as someone that's been in your shoes to just take that space, and this can always be something that you come back to when you feel ready, but I also know there are a lot of women here right now that may need to hear these exact words and really understand the true nature of what is going on when they are engaging in these habits. So I hope that this disclaimer makes sense. As always, if you have questions, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at Mallory J. Page, and I'm always here to talk through anything. Now that we've got that disclaimer out of the way, we're going to start how we always start, which is a definition, because how do you discuss something if you don't even know what it is? And as I asked y'all's opinion on this topic in my Instagram question box, There are a lot of responses of people just saying, what is this? Or can you explain this? I have no idea what this is. So the reason, the reason, we're making a new word today, prison, I wonder what that would even mean, podcast reason. (laughs) 
So the reason as to why many people may not know what drunkorexia is is because it's like a colloquial term, which means there's no literary, literary definition to it, just something used as slang, essentially. And it refers to individuals that utilize alcohol in a method that aligns with or perpetuates their eating disorder behaviors. And personally, I would add in disordered eating behaviors. This definition obviously didn't come from a dictionary, considering it's not a literary term. It came from eatingdisorderhope.org. And so, they're going to cater that message and that definition to their population, which is people struggling with eating disorders. But I have very often seen and witnessed people that don't necessarily struggle with the full-blown eating disorder or at least feel like they don't, and they are still engaging in these behaviors. So I think disordered eating or even just struggles with their relationship with food, body image, exercise is a better term to utilize to make this feel a lot more inclusive. So a study about drunkorexia that was published in the Journal of American College Health specifies that it's commonly characterized by the following behaviors. So this would be skipping meals in order to save calories or compensate for increased caloric intake from consumption of alcoholic beverages to excessive exercising in order to compensate for calories consumed from drinking and or Three, drinking excessive amounts of alcohol in order to become sick and purge previously consumed food. Wow. The words are not happening today, guys. I got a DM from one of you that was saying that it made you feel better that I kind of trip over my words or I'll say random words that aren't quite exactly how they're supposed to sound. And that made me feel so much better. I hope that it doesn't bother anyone too much. I swear I'm not trying to do it. But just stick with me. So the key concept of drunkorexia is that it involves a harmful combination of both disordered eating as well as problematic drinking behaviors. And these behaviors are commonly found in college students, but it's in no way limited solely to this population. Again, this is not a comprehensive definition or habit characterization of this is what drunkorexia is, but I do believe it gives a good idea that we can start to work with and build off of. Now, I want to throw out some stats for you guys. So over 80% of young drinkers engage in disordered eating and or restriction prior to drinking. 80 freaking percent Are you kidding? Think about that. That means there's 20% of people that aren't. And also, out of that 20% of people, I'd be incredibly interested to hear how many of those people just didn't drink in general. So, just something to keep in mind. Number two, approximately one-third of university students report deliberately eating less food prior to alcohol an effort to compensate for alcohol calories that they plan to consume. Three, college women are one and a half times more likely to restrict food intake before drinking than men. And four, drunkorexia behaviors have been identified by researchers as occurring all around the world, not just in America. These stats are important because they give us an insight to not only what this actually looks like within the world, but also to how prevalent and serious this is. There's such a big conversation 
to be had around the whole idea of disordered eating in relationship to alcohol. And this isn't just characterized by drunkorexia, right? So there, there's all ends of the spectrum with alcohol and how it interacts in recovery and people's relationships with food. But I hope that these stats give you a, an image of why I want to talk about this because I don't think it's something that everybody understands or it's so normalized that it's not something we talk about. And yet, obviously, from these things that we see, it can be incredibly, incredibly harmful. So as you guys know, I don't often share personal experiences on this podcast, or I don't want it to be centered around my personal experiences because it's really a place to just get the the real information. But in this case, I do feel like experiences for myself and from others can be really validating and also can kind of give us that newsflash that we need. So I want to give a little bit of a background about what my experience was like with this. I have an entire podcast. It's number two on my general story, so you can definitely listen to that. But for this, we're just going to talk about how I went to school at the University of Arizona for college. Most people think that that is the, the true Arizona school that is like depicted in all the movies, but that's Arizona State University. They're both huge party schools. They're just different. And I grew up in a town where, I don't know, it just wasn't this huge thing to drink. And I didn't drink partially because of of family history of people that had alcoholism, partially because of my disordered eating and partially just because I had strict parents. So I didn't. And I was grateful for that. I'm really happy that I, I didn't have that. But then going into my freshman year, It was definitely a really stark contrast, and I first want to say, I know they said University of Arizona is a big party school, and it is, but I also acknowledge, you know, all colleges have their own party element. They're just all different, you know, and so with me saying that, it's not me demeaning anybody's experience at their particular college, because I think it can be extreme anywhere that you go. And I'm sure that this is true for other places in the world as well, not just America. So this is just my my experience. But I remember going into that, I was so shocked. And I was struggling with my eating disorder a ton my freshman year. So I remember by the end of the year, I think I'd only drank like five times or something. And I think I'd been drunk maybe like two of those times. So I didn't really fully engulf or not engulf myself. I didn't really fully get involved in that drinking culture, even though it was happening all around me. So my sophomore year was when I really started to get more involved in this. I think it was partially because I went through a breakup with the guy that I was dating in my hometown. So I kind of wanted to go out more, meet more people. But also I just got to a point in my eating disorder where it kind of shifted. You know, I went from being super stringent to kind of in this really crazy binge and restrict cycle that was super unhealthy. And this is where alcohol was really playing a part. And for me, I saw so much of this, not only just within the people that were around me, right? Like, you know, you could have friends that were engaging in that, or you could be in classes with people or whatever it is. But I was also in a sorority and 
being in a sorority, there are lots of things that you do together. You go out together a lot. You pregame together. You also eat together. And I had friends in the sorority. I also had a lot of friends out of it. So the reason why I even bring this up is not to say anything negative about sororities. I know some people really like them. Some people don't like them. I have great friends from my sorority. There were things I did and didn't like. But when it comes to drinking culture, there are things that I saw there that aligned with every single thing that was mentioned and also things that I engaged with because of that too. Not just because of sorority, but I engaged in these things and was a part of that drunk-orexic, that college drinking culture. So what I'm trying to get at is we all ate meals together. And so funny enough, on Thursdays was one of the days that we went out. It was typically like Tuesdays, kind of a going out day Thursdays. I mean, there was stuff like every day except for like Monday most of the time, but I personally mostly went out on like Thursdays and Saturdays. So anyways, Thursdays, they always served pasta. We love that for them. They're like trying to give us the things that we actually need. But along with that, because of, of course, like food allergies and food intolerances, they always had a salad bar. So you could see every Thursday how either people were getting the food, like the pasta, but there was almost always a comment about it in relationship to drinking later and not wanting to be bloated or something along those lines. Or they would totally avoid that and say like there's no way and either just skip it or have something from the salad bar. And there was always such a big conversation about it. Whenever some people were eating, it felt like everything that was happening at the table was talking about what you were doing to go out, how you were prepping to go out, and what you were or were not eating and what you were or were not going to do drinking. And this is where I really saw two different things happening. I saw that there were people that weren't wanting to eat or eat foods that they were afraid of because of the fact that they didn't want to look bloated. And obviously, as we all know, right, the whole culture is tight clothes, cropped clothes, little clothes, especially at U of A because it was so hot. And I'm sure, you know, other people can relate to that. It's like 115 degrees out. I mean, we even had literal pool parties where people would be in swimsuits. So there was a lot of people thinking about that aspect of it. And then there was the other piece where people were more afraid of the caloric piece of that. But the problem is then when you decide that you don't want to eat or eat enough or you're worried about these things, then it connects to how you respond when you're drinking. So this is the extra layer, right? So some people were actually excited about the fact that if they didn't eat a lot, they wouldn't, they would get drunk more quickly and this would lead them to, you know, blacking out or browning out or whatever it was. And they wanted that, which almost goes more along the lines of the disordered drinking or problematic drinking behaviors. But then there was also the other end where people were excited about it because, oh, then I'm not going to drink as much so it's not as many calories. So there's almost like a spur off here of is it more of a challenge because of problematic drinking or is it more of a challenge because of problematic eating behaviors? 
Now, to go along with this, we see a lot of other things, like I mentioned, in the habits that were connected with drunkorexia, right? It could be the excessive exercising. It could be that when you do drink, then you have the urge to get rid of all of that and to purge, which is very normalized in drinking culture when you feel like you're too drunk, but it can be very, very intermixed with actually quite disordered eating behaviors. And this is what makes it so challenging, guys. This is why... I want to talk about this because obviously alcohol is a really big conversation and I can't touch on every single aspect of that now, but I think that because drinking culture is so normalized within society, it can be a really easy cover-up for actual serious problematic eating behaviors. And I've seen this time and time again. I was this I was the person that would kind of just engage in some of these behaviors and act like it was just because I was drinking, but really it was because of all of these struggles that I had with food and exercise and body image. And there was also a lot of pressure to fit in, in a way. And I know this sounds weird, but I'm sure some of you guys can relate to this. It's this whole idea of, okay, well, they told me that they're not eating or they haven't eaten this, so I shouldn't be eating or there's something wrong with me if I have. Or even just the urge to, like, drink more than you typically would to cover up that kind of, those disordered habits, you know? And the other thing about this is is how often people will engage in habits that they think are quote-unquote problematic and demonize drinking because of this. So this is almost the other edge of the coin, right? Where someone's like, oh, I can't drink because whenever I do, I lose control around food. So that's almost this whole idea of, okay, but why are we losing control around food, right? It's because if we're restricting and then we bring down that barrier, then of course, your body is going to try to compensate for that by getting you the food that you really need or having all these foods that you're restricting. And I know this for me was one of the biggest cycles that I fell into. It was this like restrict, restrict, restrict. And then, and and I don't just mean that in the typical way of, of quote unquote, not eating, right? This would even just be focusing on being super, super healthy during the week and only eating these certain foods. And then next thing you know, when you go out, it's like, you're eating an entire pizza to yourself in 0.5 seconds. I talk about this in my My Story podcast, a a story that I have about that. Or you feel like you just can't stop eating. And it's like, of course you feel that way. And the more that we allow ourselves to be in this cycle, and I shouldn't say allow ourselves, like it's just this choice that's so easy to get rid of. But I mean, just the more that we stay in this cycle, the harder it's going to be to escape these type of patterns. And the problem with all of this and why I mention all of it is because it's just so normalized within our society and our culture. And it's not just normalized in the sense of the drinking activity, which is, you know, a whole conversation that we don't have time to have. And I'm not the the expert to have that conversation around drinking in college, but also within the disordered eating pieces of it. I cannot tell you how often I work with clients that feel like their disordered eating started in college or was perpetuated in college. 
And I would personally say that the norm in college is disordered eating and the outliers outliers are, you know, really extreme eating disorders or really healthy relationships with food, which is really, really sad to hear. So with all of this information, what I am hoping it brings to you is a little bit of that perspective of are these things that I'm doing actually normal? Because just because something is normalized doesn't mean it's normal. And you deserve to take the time to address these behaviors because from my experience, they don't just go away. Yes, drinking culture often can become much more, you know, casual and not as intense when you graduate college or you leave an environment that's really intense. But at the same time, if those are disordered struggles that are underneath that, they're not going to go away just because you leave college. And that's where I think we're missing the bigger picture. I think that we look at something like drunkorexia and say, oh, yes, okay, it happens in college students, so, you know, it will go away. But really, we're just completely missing a really big problematic sign that there's something more serious that's going on. Because honestly, I have never, I shouldn't say never, but 99% of the time when someone struggles with any of these symptoms of drunkorexia that I'm talking about, They are also struggling with their relationship with food, exercise, or body image to some extent. So now that I have explained a little bit of my experiences and opinions on this, I want to go into what you guys have shared. I actually got some voice messages about this, as well as you all submitting in the question box. And I really think that your guys' experiences and opinions speak to all of the different areas in which drunkorexia can affect us and the ways that those habits manifest. Sorry, I just had to do a little hiccup. So let's just get into it. Meg said, it made me have a low tolerance and consistent blackouts or brownouts. Kira said, I immediately related calories and alcohol to feeling the need to restrict in other parts of my day. Bella said, it's so socially acceptable to not eat to feel drunk faster, especially in college. Brian said, I used to work out extra if I was going to drink or have zero food control when I was hammered. Ginger said, friend would pull trig every time we went out and blamed it on alcohol to cover up her ED. Ello said, Gave up drinking for so long because I couldn't quote-unquote control myself around food when I was drunk. Lena said, didn't eat dinner once to be bloated while drinking and puked after like two drinks. Let's see. Going back up. I think I missed one. Nope. Going back down. Barry said, for eight years I wouldn't eat a thing before drinking. I thought eating would make me look too bloated. Michaela says, terrible. I would deprive myself all day thinking I would feel full later that night, but always feel so hollow. Annika said, it became so normalized and even encouraged in our society, which is so effed up. Someone else said, every time I know I'm going out, I pretty much restrict all day so I can go out and get drunk. Another woman said, would often make myself throw up at the end of the night to lose the calories. And I also 
wanted to get drunk faster. Cassie said, I did it all the time. It was so normalized and I had the worst blackouts, which led to bad things happening to me or making bad choices. And it always ended up in binging regret and pain. Another woman said, I'd spend too much time at the gym <clears throat> to not gain alcohol, quote unquote, weight. Convince myself that muscle would absorb alcohol better than fat so I could drink more. This is not true, by the way. I would skip meals if I was going out so I wouldn't feel full when I was drinking. Also didn't want to eat so I'd get drunk faster and would often make myself sick after going out. I know that these things are a little bit more intense than the type of habits that I typically go into, but I hope that this shows you that those things that I was talking about and the habits that they were depicting a part of drunkorexia, they're real. And I know that you guys know they're real, but I mean they're real in the fact that they do affect you and they will continue to challenge you. There were women that I read off their stories, multiple, that were in my Live Unrestricted groups because they were still feeling affected by these things today. And yes, there will be people where with time this stuff will go away. And obviously, as you kind of figure out your relationship to alcohol and all of these other things, it, it will become easier. But don't allow that to demean or to make you feel like, like demean your experience or to make you feel like I'm not sick enough. I don't deserve this. This is just a drinking thing because it's not. So I wanted to give some tips as to what to do when you feel like you're struggling with this. Otis, my cat, always tries to come in when I'm recording at the least convenient times. I see his little paw, his little fluffy paw just going under there trying to get in here. So I wanted to give some tips on this. Number one, and yes, this is easier said than done, but these are all good things to challenge yourself and say, okay, is this disorder? Because if it's not disordered, then these shouldn't be that hard for me. I should preface these tips with that. Number one is eating the same way you do other days on the day that you could be drinking. If you really want to work on this whole concept, even though it can be hard because there are people around you talking about it, you may feel the pressure to do it, go against the norm. Trust yourself in doing what you personally need to do instead of what other people tell you to do. It is going to help so much to actually have the food in your body. First of all, because you're not going to get drunk as quickly, which yes, I know that some people said that they wanted that, but I also saw many people saying they didn't want that. They don't want the blackouts. They don't want those unenjoyable moments where they feel like they're out of control. So it's going to help with that, number one. Number two, it's going to help with how you feel, not only then, but also the next day. Number three, your body is barely functioning if you're not eating enough. The only way that you can even do something like absorb, or not absorb, but process the alcohol in your body is if you have the energy to. And if you're depriving yourself the entire day, that's not going to be something that's helpful. Last thing, you almost always will make up for it. If you don't eat all day, you are even more likely 
to binge at night. And this is the hard truth. This is the logical truth that you can tell yourselves. Why the heck would I just not eat all day to binge all of this food at night? And it will happen at some point. I've had, I've made a TikTok video about this once and someone said, well, I don't binge at night. And I get that, but it will come for you at some point. It will happen. I promise you because your body is doing whatever it can to survive. So set alarms in your phone, make a little checklist that you can have. I love to do this. I actually like to do this and you can even share it with someone where you do a Google note. And if you have like an accountability buddy, even if it's your mom, a friend, even if it is yourself, just check off the meals that you want to eat that day to actually feel fueled. Now, number two, set parameters for yourself around the drinking day and time. So what parameters are like, they're kind of similar to goals, but they're almost the things not to exceed. So for example, set an amount of time that you can exercise. Say it's going to be X amount of time on this day and that day. So the day before, the day after, don't let yourself exceed that. Don't let yourself sit in the gym for way too long. Give yourself that time limit. Again, set an alarm, bring on an accountability buddy if you can, and don't let yourself feed into that guilty piece of, oh, I need to do more because your body understands how to process alcohol. It doesn't need you to be doing that. And also it's not great for your body to be doing this, like trying to focus on all these other things. Just allow it to recover like it needs to in these moments and enjoy the fun of it. Number three, recognize the fun pieces of this and how it can fuel you positively if you want it to be a part of your life. This is where it can get tricky, guys, because I am in no way saying that everyone needs to drink alcohol, that it's something that you have to do, that it's this thing that's like so healthy for you. But I do feel like alcohol can be in your life in a healthy way if you are aware and cognizant of what you want that to look like. And there can be times where drinking can be a fun piece of connection, right? Or it can be something that adds to a meal or adds to an experience. Now, I get that in college, it's really different and it's really hard. And I don't have the perfect answer for what that looks like in college. I can confidently say I've had a lot of negative memories with alcohol in college and I had a lot of positive memories and I'm not the one here to micromanage you and I'm just a dietitian. I'm not a therapist. I'm not, you know, an addiction counselor. I'm not in that realm. So I'm not trying to enable or to put someone down. I'm just trying to say that you can recognize that this can be positive in your life, a positive experience. And it's not just about calories. If you think about it as that type of exchange, then of course it's always going to be negative because you're always fixated on that instead of fixating on enjoying the experience. Number four, this is more along the lines, again, of not dietitian work, but work with someone else. But asking yourself, why is it that you feel the need to get drunk so quickly? Why is it that you feel the need to get blacked out? Because a lot of the time what I would hear from women especially is that it was because they didn't feel confident in their bodies or they didn't feel confident in themselves and that would make them feel more comfortable and confident, which it's so sad that us as women, we feel this way. And don't get me wrong, I've had those same days where I've felt, 
you know, in college where I felt really like I just wasn't confident in my body or myself in a social situation. But this also shows us a lot about what is what's underneath that, you know, what what's going on with how we feel about ourselves behind that I need to get drunk really quickly. And this goes more in line with the whole challenges of alcohol in general than it does disordered eating spectrum, but I do, I do still think that that's a really, really helpful thing to think about. Number five, eat your carbs and protein, or I wasn't even looking for carbs, carbs, fat, protein, all the things. Anyway, just all the elements. Carbs especially, they are going to help you to absorb the alcohol. It gives you energy throughout the day. It's going to make it much better of an experience. You'll also be a lot less hungover. So that could mean that you eat at the end of the night. I love eating at the end of the night if I'm going out because it helps me to feel better the next day. I don't wake up so starving. It's it's a great choice for me. And when you avoid these things or just have whatever, vegetables and stuff that really doesn't nourish you, it isn't going to be healthy for your body or yourself. And that's what's funny, right? A lot of the times we think, oh, I'm going to you know, avoid drinking too much, uh, or I mean, I'm going to avoid eating too much if I'm going to drink because I want to say smaller or healthier. And really that completely defeats the purpose, the point, because that's actually the opposite of healthy for us. So those are my tips. No, they are not foolproof. They are things to think about that will help you to get out of this. But I also hope that with those tips, it shows you, hey, if I'm really struggling with these, maybe there's something else going on here. Maybe I need some support in my journey, in my relationship with food. And on the other flip side of this, you know, if you're struggling with your own Drinking patterns, that's also very serious. That's obviously not something that I will be able to assist you in, but there are lots of resources. I will try to link some down below that can be there to support you during that time because that is a very serious thing and something that definitely needs to be supported. This episode is a little bit different than other ones we've had. I feel like it's a little bit more serious, but This is something that I'm really passionate about and I've seen how it can affect people's lives and I don't want it to affect yours. As I've mentioned a few times, this isn't the full conversation about the relationship with alcohol, relationship to alcohol and recovery. Just all of those elements are very, very complex and alcohol can be a positive and it can be a negative. And I really do think it's about finding what makes sense for you and your body and even the time in your life. But no matter what, these behaviors are never something that are going to make you feel your best. So that's why I wanted to address this. I really hope that this episode was helpful today. And as always, feel free to shoot me a DM with questions or what you felt about this topic or If it brought up anything for you, I'm always open to feedback or topics that you want to see. If you listen to this and you recognize that you're really struggling with disordered eating habits or your relationship with food and body image and exercise, Live Unrestricted, my group coaching program, could be a very transformational place for you. 
I will link the application down below as I always do. And once you put in the application, you set up a free consult call with me to determine that it's 100% the right fit. So even if you're, you know, on the edge and you're like, you know what, I'm not sure if this is what I need, just there's no harm in just booking a consult call so we can chat. You know what I mean? So without further ado, I will close out this episode. I feel like without further ado, why does that keep coming up to me or coming up for me? It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. Anyways, thank you so much for listening. I will talk with you guys next week.